0: Home to again to again
1: Welcome to the John Lennon Hour with host Jude Sutherland Kessler, author of the John Lennon series.
0: Purchase your book at Johnlennonseries.com. This is Kit O'Toole. I am the author of Songs We Were Singing, Guided Tours Through the Lesser Known Songs of the Beatles.
1: And if she's Kit, which she is Kit, then I'm Caboodle. Jude Sutherland, Kessler, author of the John Lennon series, nine-volume work covering the life of John Lennon, of course, and, of course, the story of the Beatles as a documented historical narrative.
0: And we're here tonight to talk about a very... Uh, complex subject, John Lennon's protest songs. Now, you probably saw online uh, that the subtitle of our presentation is Righteous or Rubbish, which might seem like a kind of a shocking question. But remember, John's protest songs were not universally accepted when they first came out. I particularly refer to Sometime in New York City, which uh, earned him a lot of uh, critical lambasting, shall we say. So tonight, we are going to take an in-depth look at four of his best-known and, in some cases, most controversial protest songs. Uh, What makes these songs tick? Are they righteous or are they rubbish? Uh, Jude will examine Revolution and Woman is the Nigger of the World, while I will analyze Happy Christmas, War is Over, and Power to the People. Now, due to time constraints, we won't be able to play all the songs in their entirety. We're going to play just snippets. And we also can't take calls tonight because we've got so much to cover, but we invite you to post your thoughts on our official Kit and Caboodle Fan Club page on Facebook. Just enter that term, uh, hit Join, and you can post away on our page. Before we begin, we want to extend some wishes to some uh, very well known people in the Beatles community. Uh, First of all, to Mitch Axelrod, who is the host of the terrific Fab4 Free for All podcast, and he is also the author of Beetle Tunes, uh, the book about the history of the Beatles cartoon series. He is continuing to recover from surgery, and we want to wish him all the best and for a speedy, speedy recovery. And the other uh, person we want to acknowledge is Rick Glover. Um, many, I'm sure many people in our audience know him. He is Mr. Fans on the Run. He formed that organization. Uh, he has seen, gosh, over 100 uh, Paul McCartney concerts. He's also a longtime colleague of mine on BeatleFan. Uh, he disclosed this week on Facebook that he uh, has been diagnosed with thyroid cancer and is undergoing chemo and radiation. So I'm sure Jude and all of us will we'll join me in wishing him the best. We are thinking of you, uh, and as some people have said online, you are going to kick cancer's butt.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and we will be praying for you and thinking about you, and just know that you're going to show them the real true beetle spirit, so absolutely. both of you, get well absolutely soon, and Kit and I want to bring up a happy note, we are sending out our love, our hugs, and our congratulations to Joe Johnson, who just got married, we are so happy for you, your bride is absolutely beautiful, and I know that you two will be happy for many, many Many, 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 years to come. So from Kit and Caboodle, all the best. Well, Kit, I have to extend congratulations to you because your brand new book, Songs We Were Singing, is out on the shelves and flying off the shelves in the hands of readers. And I saw how very many you sold at the Chicago Fest for Beatles fans. It's a great book. I got to, to read it before it came out. I am in love with it, but now I'm reading it cover to cover in physical form. And it's great. Congratulations! Wonderful book.
0: Oh, thanks, Jude. It was a fun weekend at the fest for Beatles fans. It was great to premiere it there. Uh, people were just so great, and 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 as you said, bought it. Were really interested in it. Just just exciting, exciting time.
1: Yeah, and you're going to have it at Beatles at the Ridge coming up September 18th and 19th. In fact, we're going to have a big party for you, your premiere party there. So we'll talk more about that on next week's show when you will be here with my husband, Rand Kessler, and with the very famous Anthony Robustelli who's in Liverpool for Beatle Week. And you three will be talking about your role at Beatles at the Ridge, and we'll tell people more about that party and how they can become a part of that. But Kit and I had a pretty hard time tonight deciding only four songs to talk about when you talk about John's protest songs. I mean, I love the Beatles. I'm a huge Beatles fan, but I'm truly a John Lennon fan. And on Saturday mornings when I get up and have a cup of coffee, it's Lennon music that's playing around the house. And he was between 1970 and 1980, a prolific writer. And many of those songs were protest songs, Power to the People, I Don't Want to Be a Soldier, John Sinclair, Sunday Bloody Sunday, and Luck of the Irish, his his two songs that he wrote, supporting the Irish uh, independence from England and thought of himself as an Irish patriot. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Bring on the Lucy or Free to People. Give me some truth and look, even Imagine in a way is a protest song because what these songs are urging you to do is to move away from life as it is and move towards life as it could be and life as it should be. And really in the 70s John wrote about two themes the love for the women in his life, all three of them, Cynthia, we'll talk about that in a minute, and May and Yoko and his search for a better world, these protest songs. But when you get down to it, those two things are really one because it's John saying, this is what matters to me. This is my serious view on life think about the Beatles Christmas songs. While Paul is simply having a wonderful Christmas time, John is coming at you and saying, so it's Christmas. What have you done? He's always very, very serious and wants to know, you know, what have you done? What's your plan? How are you going to make the world better? And so that's what he's doing in these political songs or protest songs or peace songs, whatever you want Call them. With that in mind, we're going to get right down to it. We're going to look at the first of those songs that he wrote when he was with that, you know, that little band from Liverpool. You remember those guys, Kit? Ah, oh, vaguely. <laughs> the Beatles. The Beatles. <laughs> you Beatles. Well, we're going to look at Revolution. And you know, any discussion of his post-test songs has to begin there because it was the first. And I so remember the first time I heard it. I was like, "What in the world is he thinking?" Yeah, this isn't about love, this isn't about drugs, this isn't about floating downstream, turn off your mind. This, what is he, why is he going down this path? And of course little did I know that John had wanted to go down this path for a very long time and only one person had stood in his way and most of you can guess who that was, Brian. Brian did not want the Beatles to get involved in politics because number one, he thought it's going to alienate half of your audience. It's going to put you in bad light with the press. And people who play in a rock band shouldn't be expressing political views. You're not in the political arena. So he put his foot down, especially in light of John's Jesus comments, which got him into so much trouble. But you know John. While in Rishikesh, he decided that enough was enough. He was going to speak out. He says, I thought it was about time we stopped not answering about the Vietnam War. I've been thinking about it up in the hills in India or something like that. That's not quite how he said it, but it was pretty close. And so he thought it was time to ignore Brian's warnings and speak out. Was he sorry that he did this? Years later, was he sorry? Absolutely not. In his 1980 Playboy interview, he said that statement in Revolution, that was my statement and the lyrics stand today in 1980. That's how I feel about politics. So how does John feel about politics? What's he saying in Revolution? Well, the first thing that you can see that he's saying is he's not endorsing chaos or some willy nilly change. He wants to see a concrete, workable, plan of action. Let's listen to what he says. We'd all love to see the plan. In that same Playboy interview in in 80, John emphasized those lines above all others in the song. He said this, I want to see the plan. That's what I used to say to Jerry Rubin and Abby Hoffman. Count me out if there's violence. Don't expect me on the barricades unless it's with flowers. And as far as overthrowing something in the name of Marxism or Christianity, I want to know what you're going to do after you've knocked it down. I mean, can't we use some of it? What's the point of bombing Wall Street if you want to change the system change the system. It's not good shooting people. So we can see from the get-go, he's not endorsing entropy or chaos or terrorism. He's for a strategic and nonviolent way of bringing about revolution. He's for taking an existing system and revamping it, but not completely destroying it. He always would say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Keep the good, rework the bad. Tim Riley wrote that great book, Tell Me Why, and he said in it that Lenin was a natural leader in the eyes of the radicals, but his instincts told him something different from what the radicals were preaching on the streets. He refuted violence. He felt the world was at a cultural and political epoch, but he disagreed with the leading leftist who insisted on hearing disorder in rock. As a metaphor for revolt John did not like disorder he did not like people who didn't think he loves Stu Sutcliffe Paul McCartney Yoko Ono because they're thinking brilliant people doesn't like people unless they have the plan mm. so let's listen to one more important segment of revolution <gasps> that wild, violent, abrupt, chaotic sound in the beginning, that heavy triplet guitar solo and then that scream. What does it fall away to? A very measured beat that's strong, that's powerful, that's unshakable, almost feet marching or a heart beating because that's what it takes to bring about a plan. It takes passion and devotion what john presents in this song is almost a debate you say you want a revolution well this is what i say you say you want change in the world well this is what i say you say you want money for minds that hate well this is what i say it's this very logical orderly debate and he felt that that was stronger than shouting each other down or arguing or chaos thinking people Let's listen one more time to what he says about needing a contribution for changing the world. You but if you want money for people with minds that hate, Yeah, if you want money for people with minds that hate, all I can tell you is, brother, you'll have to wait. So uh, this attitude got him into hot water with his leftist friends. They were shocked. (laughs) They rebuked him. The village boy spoke out against him. Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin were disappointed by the song, and they tried to sway him away from his slightly left-of-center stance. And that's where he's standing in Revolution. So in retaliation, John wrote his own little article, and instead of writing in the Village Voice, he wrote in Black Dwarf Magazine, and he shot back, I don't worry about what you think, the left, the middle, or the right, or any fucking boys club, I'm not bourgeois, I'm not up against the establishment, but you too, I'll tell you what's wrong with the world, people, so do you want to destroy them? Yeah, Kit and I laugh about this because John Lennon's big quote is, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. (laughs) And that's the deal. It's people. People screw things up. But what are we going to do, kill all of them? You can't. You need to work with them. You say you'll change the Constitution. Well, here's the secret. Change your head. You tell me it's the institution, free your mind instead. And in many ways, John Lennon is echoing Jesus of Nazareth who said, Why are you looking at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and paying no attention to the gigantic plank in your own eye? And John was saying, when we changed our selfish attitude, our biased attitude, our prejudices, our hatreds, our narrow way of thinking, then we're going to begin to change the world. In that Playboy interview, he says, until we and you and I have changed our heads, there's no chance. Tell me of one successful revolution who effed up communism, Christianity, capitalism, Buddhism sick minds and nothing else. And where does John think revolution is going to happen? Well, he, he said it And hey Jude, the movement you need is on your shoulders. It's going to happen on our own shoulders. Only we can change who we are and how we think and how we treat other people. And, and violence isn't the way to do it. So I can hear what you're thinking. You're saying, okay, If violence isn't the way and it's changing yourself, then how do we react to Revolution 1, that slower, bluesier version in which he refers to destruction by saying, you can count me out in. Hmm. Most people think that that was the second, uh, that was an amendment to revolution, that John rethought the situation and said, you can count me out in, but nothing could be further from the truth. On the 30th of May at EMI, the Beatles started recording Revolution. They did 18 takes. John was tired. He didn't want to do it anymore. He's lying on the floor. And then when they do take 20, in a bad mood, he says, you can count me out in because, you know, he's about to punch George Martin. He did not want to do this anymore. But he he was nebulous about at some point the need for some kind of violence as most world leaders were i mean if you look at ben franklin he said there never was a good war or a bad peace but what did ben franklin do he signed the documents that led to the american revolution george washington you know who led the war was sickened by the thought of it he saw what it did to his innocent young soldiers but he said to be prepared for war is one of the most effective means of preserving peace. And John too saw that that violence at some point, especially in the IRA fight against England, you know, he was coming out and saying, "Look, maybe maybe this is part of it. I don't know. I don't have all of the answers." Um, he he saw that there was a gap between utopianism and practicality, and it meant changing the individual, but. At some point, it may mean taking some action. So how is he going to to make this difference? How is he going to achieve it? That's the hard part. Kit has a new book that's coming out, I believe, in November. Kit, is that right? Yeah, November 10th. November 10th. And it's about Michael Jackson. And I believe it's called Michael Jackson FAQ. Am I right? That is correct. That's it. And so she can tell you that, that Michael Jackson years later urged people in Man in the Mirror to make that change. But he, he the song Man in the Mirror is about starting that change with yourself. And that's what John's saying. He was out in the destruction game. That's his first choice. And it's the choice that he put on the sheet music and it's the choice that he put on side B of Hey Jude. But out in is always in the back of his mind and, and unfortunately it's always in the back of ours. What say you, Kit? Wow, well, I'll tell you, uh, this is
0: this is one thing that I love about doing this show with you is that when you mentioned, "Hey, Jude, the movement you need is on your shoulder." I never thought of that in in terms of uh, reading it as a you know that you, it, the change is within yourself, and you have to make that change to, to yeah. work in a Michael Jackson reference as well. Uh, but uh, that was unintentional. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, <laughs> I swear. But uh, but that that's <laughs> fascinating. I never thought of that. So that's you know that is really interesting. And the other thing is, you know, when you talk about changing your worldview, he realizes that he is asking for something big. I mean, changing your your worldview, you know, yeah. starting change in yourself. Uh, that's not easy to do, and a lot of people are resistant to that. You know, and so. In his music, he recognizes that, and he, yeah. uh, you know, refers to it in his lyrics. So that leads to my next song, which is uh, Happy Christmas War is Over. Now, I'm going to talk about a little bit um, uh, of a historical context, but also in another way, which is John was a, was a master at, you know, in delivering these, these tough messages that Jude was just talking about, about changing your worldview. Um, he had to deliver it in a way that would reach the most people. And he was a master at using advertising uh, tropes, advertising language and techniques to communicate his, his uh, messages of peace. Now, this sounds like how could I possibly be equating uh, protest music with advertising, doesn't that seem to contradict each other? Well, think about it. First of all, John was long fascinated with advertising. Um, you know, Jude. I know. You know the answer to this. When he wrote "Good Morning, Good Morning" for Sergeant Pepper, what did he base
1: it on? Sure, Kellogg's cornflakes.
0: That's right, right there based-
1: on the table in front of him.
0: You bet. He based it on a cornflakes ad. So he was definitely very aware of the power of advertising, and in several interviews, uh, there is constant reference to how he had the television on all the time. I mean, he was fascinated particularly by American television. So it's logical that he would want to experiment with this, uh, with advertising methods. Now, think about another thing, an advertising jingle. What does a jingle, what is the purpose of a jingle? Well, it really has three purposes. First of all, it's making an emotional connection. You know, remember those old Hallmark ads where Mm -hmm. they would tug at the heartstrings immediately? Well, that was on purpose. It was to get your attention, to, to connect you with, in this case, the product. Two, of course, make the viewer remember the product by, in the jingle, repeating it over and over and over so you will remember it. And finally, to inspire action. Now, in the case of a jingle, it's buying the product. You know. But in John's protest songs, or any protest song, really, John wanted you to do something. Now, that's a, it's a little bit vague as to what he wanted you to do at times. Um, right. Sometimes it was to get out on the street, which we'll get to later, but sometimes it was just to change your worldview. And so he wanted, just like a regular advertising jingle, wanted to inspire emotion, memory, and action. And John and Yoko talked about this uh, on their appearance on the David Frost show in 1969, where John said, we're trying to sell peace like a product, you know, and sell it like people sell soap or soft drinks, the only way to get people where the peace is possible. So we're just saying sell peace. Advertise yourself that you're for peace if you believe in it. That's a, that's a pretty radical statement to equate, yeah. you know, selling peace with selling soap. I mean, that, that sounds preposterous, but it really isn't. Mm-hmm. The other thing that influenced him at the time was Yoko was very involved in the Fluxus Art Movement, which was a movement in the, started in about the late 50s, really flourished in the early to mid 60s, um, where it was changing art, saying that high and low art, there, there should be no difference, that uh, boundaries should be destroyed between life and art. And it encouraged participation, you know, audience participation. The participation was almost more important than the actual end result. And what they would say, the Fluxus art movement would say is, why can't an advertisement, you know, any kind of print advertisement, be considered the same as a Van Gogh painting? Now that sounds a little out there, but Flux, the Fluxus movement was questioning what art is. And so, um, you know, John, of course, got to know about this movement through Yoko and thought, okay, why can't we combine that, you know, the, the message of peace and uh, the art form of, in this case of music, With advertising, you know, what's really the difference between advertising and pop music? So those are the things that that work, you know, uh, figure into how he used advertising to communicate his message. Now, another thing that we've talked about a little bit already is how he would emphasize that people must want change. You know, it's not just going to happen. And that in order for something to happen, we have to, it's not going to happen by itself. We have to want the action. We want, we need the end result. Now the war is over. If you mo- uh, if you want it, campaign started um, when uh, they decided after the success of the bed ends. Uh, they decided to continue this message by uh, in 1969 by pur- purchasing billboard space in countries all over Europe, uh, Asia, of course, in the United States. They commissioned posters and billboards. To read, War is Over if You Want It, Happy Christmas from John and Yoko. And so they, uh, they started this campaign and they launched it on December 15, 1969, during their appearance at the UNICEF benefit concert, uh, Peace for Christmas Time, at London's Lyceum Ballroom. And postcards were distributed with this slogan, there was the banner behind them with the slogan. And so two years later, they released the campaign's theme song Happy Christmas War is Over recorded with the Harlem Community Choir Uh, it stressed his favorite theme we've talked about a little bit so far of of, of imagine in imagine of no religion or at least de-emphasizing religion to focus on equality Um, and so let's take a listen to the very beginning of the song and we'll talk about it So this is Christmas Not exactly chestnuts roasting on an open fire, is
1: it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly, you know, I, I mean, starting a Christmas carol with, and so this is Christmas, and what have you done? Wow. <laughs> I mean, that, wow. <laughs> I mean it, it confronts the listener immediately. And what he's doing here in the, in the context of a Christmas carol is saying, what have you done personally to improve the world? Uh, A new year suggests that everybody can start anew and we can work toward toward peace, but only, as that billboard states, if you want it. Now, this is hardly a warm and fuzzy message, I I would say, but as our mutual friend Andrew Jackson, uh, uh, who has written a number of books, including Still the Greatest, The Essential Songs of the Beatles' solo careers, um, he wrote that that John was always canny, uh, knowing the best way to slip in a message was through sugar. Mm -hmm. And this is a classic example. He repeats every line, going back to the advertising jingle, he repeats um, every line with, and so this is Christmas, and so this is Christmas, um, you know, to to get you in in that frame of mind of, you know, that confrontation, you know, that you're being confronted with this, even though it's this wonderful time of year. Um, Let's listen to a little bit more of the song. good example of of what you were just talking about a minute ago, Jude, that sort of dialogue. Uh, Mm -hmm. Notice that that choir is functioning as sort of a, a, well, almost like a Greek chorus, actually. Um, Later on in the song, he uh, sings, for for weak and for strong, for rich, rich and for poor ones, the world is so wrong. So happy Christmas for black and for white, for yellow and red ones, let's stop all the fight. In between those lines, on the lines we just heard, notice that choir keeps repeating, "War is over if you want it." So it's what stop all and you know stopping the fight now. So the, this chorus is sort of a, you know, kind of urging him on and urging us on as well. So just in case we didn't get this message, he reminds us once again with the ending chorus with that beautiful uh, Harlem Community Choir. Uh, repeating the phrase. So let's let's hear the ending. If that isn't a jingle, way, I don't know what is, because, you, I mean, that message, that phrase is just burned in your brain after hearing that, with the melody, I mean, you can sing along with it, and it just drums that message in your head. And the important thing is, as I said, war is over if you want it. Uh, Gary Tillery wrote a terrific book, and it is called The Cynical Idealist, and that's what John was, and, and he talked of, uh, talks about that in his book. That while he was an idealist in some ways, he wanted, you know, he certainly wanted peace, he recognized the limitations of human nature. That we're not just going to automatically go out and, 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 and we're not going to automatically change our minds by listening to one song. But he's urging us that if we really want to, if we really are, in, excuse me, inspired, that we will make those changes. And so, Happy Christmas is a classic example of how we used advertising tropes to communicate his message of peace.
1: Yeah, it's almost as if the title should have been Happy Christmas? mark. Yeah, that's you know, the point. I mean, is it going to be a happy Christmas? Is a happy Christmas with you and your conscience for what you've done or haven't done? And how about all the people who aren't going to have a happy... You know, it's a very... It's certainly not happy Christmas, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's, it's anything really but not. that, you know. <laughs> we one thing that Kit and I were talking about over the weekend at the Chicago Fest is that I had lived in a neighborhood at one point in my life where people just absolutely were not getting along at all. And I was in the grocery store one day, and there was a magazine that said how to deal with difficult people. And I bought it, thinking, "Aha! This is going to teach me how to deal with all those jerks." Well, it did teach me how to deal with a jerk myself, because it said if you want to change people, you have to change yourself, and that's what he's saying in both of these songs, isn't it, Kit?
0: Absolutely. That's his message, and as I said, he understands. He's asking a lot.
1: He definitely is. Well, how are we doing so far? Go to Facebook. Tell us if you think that the first two songs, Revolution and Happy Christmas War, is over. Are these songs righteous, or are they rubbish? I'm voting for righteous. How about you, Kit?
0: I, I think I would definitely vote uh, vote righteous. But as we said, not everybody at the time thought so. So be interested to
1: uh, to read your thoughts. It definitely will be. So 1971, and John's life had become pretty hectic and pretty haggard. These protest songs, as popular as they were with some people, were not popular with others, as Kit just told us. And he was in pretty deep chemistry with the US government. They saw him as dangerous, powerful, highly persuasive, which he was, and they were scared to death of him. They thought that he could hold a, a very heavy sway over young voters, and they wanted John out of the way, one way or another. So they began working overtime taping his phone conversations, tracking his every move. In fact, there was a play that was on Broadway about eight or nine years ago about the FBI agent who was assigned to John and how John went down on the street one night and said, look, if you wanna know who I am, why don't you just come up and get to know me? And the two of them struck up a very close friendship. But John knew he was being watched. He was petrified to leave the US even for a very short time to go back to Liverpool, to visit Julian and I know I can hear what you're saying well he could have had Julian visit him which he did when he was with May for the the long weekend the lost weekend or whatever misnomer it is it wasn't lost and it wasn't a weekend mm. but um, he didn't want to leave the country and same thing with Yoko she was afraid to leave even though Kyoko was missing it was a very dangerous period of upheaval and tension and John did something which I think only added to his trouble, and that is he left the elegant and respected St. Regis Hotel and moved to Greenwich Village. Now, that's the way to get the government to look the other way. That (laughs) upped his game as a protest writer and upped his game with the, the radicals that he was making friends with. He had been, he moved from a recluse in Kenwood to living in this elegant hotel, and now he's on the streets rubbing shoulders with the leftists in Greenwich Village. But what had happened was John was seeing himself in a new light. He doesn't believe in Beatles, he just believes in me himself. And he's beginning to see himself as an American patriot, as the new Thomas Paine, as the new Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death. Thomas Paine with these are the times that try men's souls. And he said, and this is a direct quote from John, I profoundly regret that I was not born an American. He felt like, as an American patriot, he had to speak out against the things that were wrong, just as. Patrick Henry did, just as Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, all of the founding fathers of America once did. And out of that comes an LP called Sometime in New York City, recorded with the Plastic Ono Elephants Memory Band. Two of the songs that we're gonna discuss, the last two, come from that LP, Power to the People and Woman is the Nigger of the World. Why are we giving these two songs such large kudos? Well, Kit's going to tackle the first one, and then I'll tell you about the second. So, Kit, take it away.
0: Well, this is Power to the People is yet another example of using a jingle format to communicate a message and incite action. So let's take a look. It was written and released in 1971, and it represents, John, as you were just mentioning, at one of the most politically radical points of his career. Um, you talked about revolution uh, Revolution One earlier where he was singing "Count me out in empower um, the people he 's all in." He makes that absolutely clear. Uh, the song emerged actually from an interview that he and Yoko did with a Marxist publication called Red Mole," which was based in London, and their interviewers had previously criticized John and Yoko for the bed-ins. And, uh, and you were mentioning that uh, as well uh, earlier, Jude, that uh, mm-hmm. that they felt, uh, as members of the new left, that John and Yoko were too passive, that uh, that the bed-ins were not radical enough, that the new left uh, believed in radical intervention and popular struggle. Well, at this point in his life, John was starting to lean more toward the new left. And so um, power to the people is a good representation of that. It marked a transition from, that, from the intensely personal tone of the John Lennon Plastic Ono Band album. Now he's moving to the public. And it serves as an all-purpose anthem, really, for any cause uh, that, that people wish to, to use it for. It was sort of general. Um, the chorus was meant as a sing-along uh, intended to do for you know, revolutionary activism, what Give Peace a Chance did for the pacifist movement. Um, He recorded the first version of Power to the People um, the day after the interview took place on January 22nd. If you look at that interview, uh, you can see some hints of of what was to come. Um, He said at one point, what I'm trying to do is influence all the people I can influence, all those who are still under the dream and just put a big question mark in their mind. The acid dream is over. That is what I'm trying to tell them. That's why I'm putting out more heavy statements now and trying to shake off the teeny bopper image. I want to get through to the right people, and I want to make what I have to say very simple and very direct. And I think this song certainly does just that. Um, and so in order to, to communicate this message of revolution and they involve his favorite theme of a utopian society with you know, no class divisions, no religious differences, no political differences, so he followed that jingle format that I was talking about earlier by repeating that phrase. But he also followed the, the jingle format by having listeners emotionally connect with the song from the, from the moment it opens. Let's hear that, uh, that incredible opening of Power to the People. See how he draws us in immediately with that marching? That This is about revolution. You know, he makes no bones about it. And that marching, that steady marching, beat really immediately just, just draws our attention and, and sort of energizes us. Uh, Phil mm-hmm. Spector was also a key, played a key role in this. And, and uh, some listeners out there may not be happy about me saying this, but I'm not a big Phil Spector fan, I have to admit. <laughs> But, but he he made he helped make this song. I completely admit that um, that echo uh, the adding the, the the echo and compression added to the power of the song. He encouraged Bobby Keys to deliver that that wonderful sax performance. I mean, the sax is just just you know absolutely crucial to the song. He recruited the singers to create this small choir. I mean, it it just all comes together, and it adds to the power of John's message. So uh, now that we've talked about the music, let's listen to the lyrics um, a bit. So let's uh, let's listen to just a sampling of, of the lyrics. Now, some people have accused power to the people, and, and John himself actually said this later on, but as we all know, John criticized his own songs quite a bit uh, in interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, he, that some accuse this of being simp, too simple, you know, lyrically. However, I say it accomplishes what it set out to do. Let's look at it from the uh, perspective of the jingle again. That marching, uh, the beginning marching, brings us into the song, connects us emotionally. Power to the people, repeating that phrase over and over and over. We remember it. You know, you're not going to forget it. And he calls for action in uh, in that excerpt we just heard. Say you want a revolution, we better get on right away. Well, you can get on your feet and out in the street. So he is telling you, get out of your chair, get involved and you, you should do it, you know, now, preferably. You know, get up after listening to this song and do something. Um, and, you know, he repeats this phrase so many times. I mean, you're never going to forget it. However, again, he's the cynical idealist. You know, he, he uh, encourages all listeners to join him, you know, in making these changes. But he also, once again, recognizes that people need, you know, additional encouragement. That human nature is going to prevent them from enacting a change. So, he's you, you saying again, say you want a revolution, we better get on right away. You can say you want it all you want, but you have to do something. You know, you have to follow through. So again, you you need to to want that change. And so the final selection we're we're going to uh, hear is this this incredibly powerful song is sort of a preview of the next song that Jude is going to talk about. So let's hear that, uh, that section. So now he's moved from revolution out in the street to revolution at home, to take, you know, to uh, to reconsider what gender means and how you are treating your woman back home, and that is the the perfect segue to Jude's final song.
1: Yeah, and this song is a controversial one, so if you don't want to hear about it, this is a good time to exit the John Lennon Hour, but I think that it's a passionate song that John cared very, very deeply about, and you know, there are three elements that make up a good protest song. Passion, I mean, fiery belief in your cause. And we've seen that in all three of these songs, whether it's the Get Out There and Do It Right Now Power to the People song or the Happy Christmas, you know, kind of think about what you've done over the last year song, certainly evident in this one. Uh, The second thing a protest song has to have is a catchy tune. Uh, What was it, about a year ago, Kit, that we did a show about earworms?
0: Yes, indeed.
1: And this is one, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. it's The the hook is one you won't forget.
1: Yeah, it stays with you. It, it, it's in your brain. You keep hearing it being sung in your head. And the third thing is there has to be a hook in the lyrics. So let's see if all three elements are present in our very last song, which is Woman of the, is the Nigger of the World. Definitely it was in Power to the People. Definitely it was in Happy Christmas Wars Over. But let's check this song something went wrong in this song, and it's got to be one of those three elements. First, let's check the first element, which is passion. Well, hey, the fact that John Winston Lennon of Liverpool wrote this song is a huge tribute to what he's preaching about. Don't just say what you want people to do. Do it yourself. You know, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk, and he's done it, because no one was more of a northern man. That's, what they say in Liverpool, meaning a chauvinistic, macho brute. No one was more of that than John Lennon. A a Northern man is someone typically who comes from like Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, who thinks women are just sex objects. Well, in 1963, John and the other Beatles were in their suite during the autumn tour and a bunch of girls were issued into the room. John was trying to watch films of the Beatles in Hamburg and he wanted everyone to be quiet. It was in one of his John moods. And the girls were giggling and ooing. And my guess is <laughs> that he was they were probably ooing over Paul because John was really in a nasty mood. And so he says quite loudly, Women are be obscene and not heard. And he wasn't kidding. He absolutely meant it. And Cynthia was pretty honest about the way he treated her at times. I mean, in her 2005 book, John, she says, you know, he hit her at times. He wasn't always kind to his girlfriends. Thelma Pickles, his first real girlfriend in college, of course, there was Barbara in high school, but Thelma was the first person he really connected with at Liverpool College of Art. He had been so mean to her that the way they broke up was she shouted across the room of crowded people don't blame me because your mother's dead because john did he told you in his songs i have a chip on my shoulder that's bigger than my feet i can't talk to people that i meet and he meant it and it often came across his verbal and physical abuse and he talks about that I, I said a little bit earlier that during the 70s john wrote about two themes: the women in his life and and politics, and both of those themes are evident in this song. He's talking about women, and he's talking about how things should change so that women have a fair shake, a fair deal. And he's talking specifically about Cynthia, his first wife, when he says, we make her bear and raise our children, (laughs) and then we leave her flat for being a fat old mother hen. We tell her home's the only place she should be, and then we complain that she's too unworldly to be our friend, which is exactly what happened, word for word, At uh, Cynthia's story. He looked for someone who was more worldly, the artist, the bohemian, the out-of-the-box thinker, the Astrid, the Julia, the Yoko Ono, and Cynthia was left behind. So the fact that under Yoko's tutelage, he made a 180-degree change and penned a protest song about women's rights... And the recognition of women as equals is remarkable it's remarkable the passion is there and it really shows if you listen to lines like this we insult her every day on tv i wonder why she has no guts or confidence
0: When she's young we kill her will to be free. While putting her down for being
1: dumb, we put her down for being dumb. Well, as usual, John screwed up his own lyrics. write them on his hand because he totally can't remember lyrics i just you gotta (laughs) love it the words john are while telling her not to be so smart we put her down for being so dumb i mean how many times was i told when i was a little kid don't be so smart boys don't like that and i remember getting most intelligent in high school and coming home and crying about it so um You know, it's a, it is, that's what he's saying. We've told girls not to be so smart, but then we put her down for being so dumb, which is definitely what happened to Cynthia, who never got her teacher's degree because John wanted her to be a mom instead. So the fact that he he sings this song, Passion, check. So Kit, the music, you know, you are our music expert and, I don't know if you agree. To me, this sounds sort of like a I am the walrus ramped up, ragged, almost wrapped, angry, no buffering melody. I, I kind of see him almost spilling his guts to a confessor, you know, mea culpa. This is what I did wrong, and I'm going to tell you what I did to Cynthia. I'm going to tell you what I've done to other women. I've objectified them, and that was wrong, and he's he's letting this music just pour from him. It's not lyrical. It isn't mind games. It isn't I'm Losing You. It isn't Jealous Guy. It's this gutsy, raw, honest music. Great bass by Gary Van Sciat, Great sax by Stan Bronstein. You mentioned that sax earlier. I mean, oh my gosh, it's great. Pounding, driving drums by Jim Keltner. Plastic Ono oh Elephants Memory Band at their best. It, what mm. do you think about the music, Kit?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I always thought of this as like it has a real blues feeling to it, to me, like it's, you know, just sort of a rough blues. And, of course, that would fit, you know, that would fit the topic. And Elephant's Memory, I've got to say, on a slightly off topic here on Sometime in New York City, that band cooked on that album. I mean, they yeah. were so good.
1: Yeah, I love the whole album. I just don't understand why it got such a bad reception, especially the song, which is such a hard song for John to sing that he puts all of his emotion into, so we've got music check, and we've got passion check, but now that third element in, a, in a making a great protest song is the lyrics. And, of course, that's where John went wrong. Mm. Almost everybody knows that the phrase, woman is the nigger of the world, was not coined by John. It was coined by a woman, specifically Yoko, in a magazine interview in 1969 with Nova Magazine. And they liked the quote so much. They put it on the cover of the magazine, and nothing happened to Yoko for making that statement. Beginning to sound familiar, isn't it, like the Jesus controversy. In 1972, John went on the Dick Cabot Show, and Dick Cabot asked him about another line in that song that got him in hot water, Woman is the slave of the slaves. And John explained that he, this was the period where John was really rediscovering his Irish roots. We said that he thought of himself as an American patriot. Well, he thought of himself as an Irish-born American patriot. In fact, he said, I'm not English, I'm Irish. And he was fighting for Irish freedom. And actually, Bono right now is working to get John, and I've been working for a couple of years to get John into the Irish Hall of Fame because that's really where his love lay. And he said, James Connolly, the great Irish philosopher, Once pronounced, the female worker is the slave of the slave. And that's where I got that line. Now, he had his slogan. It was powerful. It was as strong as make love, not war, or tune in, turn on, drop out, or remember the Alamo, or 2440 or fight, damn the torpedoes, all of those political slogans. It was a great slogan, but he was worried about it. He didn't want to insult anyone. So he went to black comedian Dick Gregory and said, listen, Dick, is this going to insult anyone if I use this line? And Gregory said, absolutely not. You are saying that women are being denigrated and treated the way that blacks were at one time in American history. Making a great point, go with it. Still unsure, John went um, to Jet Magazine and asked them in an interview in which he was doing about how um, black music had changed his life, how soul and rhythm and blues had changed his life and influenced the Beatles and really made the Beatles who they were. He asked Jet Magazine, this is a song I'm getting ready to put out. Is this going to be offensive to anyone? And they said, absolutely not. We totally understand what you're saying, and you're making a great point. We are for women's rights as well, just as you are, say it. But hey, in John's life, things that other people could say, he always got slapped down about. And that's what happened here. Um, his lyrics offended women it, the women said they felt denigrated Black said they felt minimized and he got in big trouble about it the BBC would not play the song and to this day it is uh, upsetting and people well I, I tried to play it a couple of years ago when Kit and I were going to do a show about sometime in New York City on beatles Arama rama and the owner of beatles rama called me and said you can't play this song I, I'm sorry I never play it on beatles rama because I get hate mail about it and so you're going to have to take it off the show so so, um, even President Obama got in trouble about using this term just on the 22nd of June. He was in an interview with Mark Maron and President Obama said, racism, we are not cured of it. And it's not just a matter of it not being polite to say nigger in public. And wow, the next morning when I turned on the television, he was in trouble with everyone from Al Sharpton to Fox News, both sides of the aisle were mad at him. So. It is a hot button. It is something that's very volatile, but John was trying to make a point. Let's listen to what he has to say. Think about it. something about it. We a pain a If she won't be a slave, you say that she don't love She's trying to be a man Think about it, he says. He's trying to wake us up. He's trying to shock you, to make you gasp and to make you listen and to make you think about the plight of women who, when John wrote this song in the 1970s, had not crashed the glass ceiling, were not being paid fairly, were not recognized for their achievements, and were certainly not holding as many executive posts as men. He was trying to make people gasp, think, pause and to think about the plight of women. Was he sorry that he wrote the song? Well, he was always sorry when he brought hate into the world. That's what he said about the Jesus comments. But he was not sorry that he stood up for women. And in 1972, the National Organization for Women awarded John the positive image of women citation for this song and you know who stood shoulder to shoulder with him and said it was a great song Jet and Ebony magazines so kit it's very complex but i'm sure we'll get some comments on facebook about it my feeling is this is a righteous song
0: and you know i think you touched on a very important thing that lyric think about it do something about it that is what all of these songs have been about
1: yeah yeah they have and as a closing tonight, and we would Kit and I want to, again, invite everybody to join us. We're, we have a special event coming up at Beatles at the Ridge, and we'll, we'll tell you about that next Thursday night. It's very special. But Kit and Caboodle just might be there in that right, Kit? Just maybe we will have to see. But in closing, we have a poem we wanted to share with you. And it was written by Terry Whitney, who is a, a Beatles fan extraordinaire. She was just with us at the Chicago Fest. And it's called John's Shattered Dreams. And it's about those political songs, those protest songs. She said, violence is what you took away. I'll never forget that terrible day. Has your face in people crumbled yet? Does it seem to you that they forget? You sang peace and love was the way to be. Are shattered dreams all you see? There are those of us who still believe your dreams the way the world should be. Now what you wanted for the human race? Well, I fear the tears are running down your face looking below at little peace and love. I'm sure you must be crying from above. You sang peace. Love was the way to be or shattered dreams, all you see. There are those of us who still... It's the way the world needs to be. You dared to dream for better days, a world without wars and hateful ways. What you imagined and believed should be that peace and love will always be the key. Violence may have taken you away, but they can't take your words. They're here to stay. So when you look down from heaven above... No, there will always be peace and love. But still loved, rest in peace. Terry Whitney, beautiful hunket. Oh, that is beautiful. Really captures his spirit. It does. Well, righteous or rubbish, join us on Facebook. Let us know what you think. And we will be looking forward to seeing you again, maybe at the Ridge, but definitely next Thursday night when Kit joins me for our first Beatles at the Ridge show. Kit, thank you so, so much for tonight. Always a pleasure, Jude. I love it. All right, guys. Join our Kit and Caboodle official fan club page on Facebook, and we'll see you there. Until then, Torah and shine on.